0: So, first podcast, first of many I hope, currently called, obviously, well part of the Bravo Tactical brand. It may change later down the line, but for the time being, so we all know who it's about, what it's about, we'll keep it the same. So this podcast, this episode, is going to be all about how it started, how Bravo Tactical became to be Bravo Tactical. We'll talk about a few things of what it used to be beforehand, how it turned into this, Um, you know, the kit and equipment side of things, balancing, you know, two jobs because it's not my full-time gig, Uh, where I see it going from now on, and then a bit about my background. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're in the car, so it's nice and chill driving away. I don't know about you guys, but I tend to listen to podcasts not all the time, but I do listen to a few of them when I'm in the car. Ones that I, you know, I may find interesting or interesting people on. So hopefully, you find me interesting enough to listen to anyway. So Bravo Tactical, right? Once upon a time, it wasn't called Bravo Tactical. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was called Bravo Company Fitness, right? And this is back in COVID era. So this is 2020, it started 2020, right? And COVID was kicking off towards February, March time, wasn't it? And I was off work for a little bit in a sense that no one could go to work, you know, because of spread COVID. So we all got sent home and we're working from home. I'll be honest, there was not a lot of work for me to do in about six months. I didn't have much going on. So it was a nice time in a sense that I was at home and there's nothing to do. But you get bored, right? There's not a lot going on. Now, I've always had this entrepreneurial kind of ambition chip Im- embedded into my brain, right? That I want to be successful, I want to do my own thing, I want to go build something from scratch and be a part of something. That's where I sit and that's what I want to do. Build something and be a part of something, whether that's building a business, being part of a community, uh, you know, and, and providing for that community and being a big figure within it. That's kind of where I was trying to go for. So started off in the fitness industry. Reason being is I was into my fitness at the time you know part of my job role I need to be physically fit I need to be ticking over with that I was enjoying that side of life at at the present time you know I still enjoy it now but after doing little bits in the fitness industry it's not something I wanted to pursue right so that was just after doing my personal training qualification as well so I did that and then we made Bravo Company Fitness. And this was simply just selling fitness equipment and apparel. Design, I say designer wear. Uh, clothing for fitness enthusiasts. But the niche was kind of a military niche just due to the name and how it was how the logo was. So I could sell it in my day job, if you know what I mean. So I could sell it to the guys that know how and I have contacts there. That was the idea behind it. So I made this. And, you know, trying to push this on social media, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok later on down the line, it was doing OK. You know, it was nothing amazing, but it, it was ticking over, you know, a few sales here and there every every week, every month, but nothing massive. Now, I try I send TikTok come about. I don't know what year this was, maybe 2021. 20, And I tried to push it on a TikTok side of things because it looked like it was easier to grow on there. But the fitness industry was saturated on TikTok at the time, being a a new thing and a way for people to get through. So I was struggling to get through anywhere, struggling to get my videos seen, and it was just dying, as in the fitness brand I had was, was kind of dying at that time. That along with I was now back at work and going into 2021, I had a different job. Which meant I was a lot more busier. So that was harder for me to kind of keep that going and trying to push through the boundaries that social media was giving me, not getting that reach, not getting videos seen and whatnot. So I struggled at that point um, doing it. And doing the fitness side of things, I was doing boot camps. Uh, on a weekly basis, once to twice a week, and I thought I'd enjoy it, and I thought that maybe when I left my current role that I may want to go into it in the future. That changed. I don't think I want to do boot camps after having a go at it. It's not really. It just didn't make me buzz. It just didn't give me that satisfaction that I thought it might have done. So I stopped doing that as well. And obviously, with being busy at work and out on the side, it was was hard to balance both of them. So, something just came about and I just thought to myself, why don't I try and build this into something that I know and I understand and I've been doing for years? You know, not so much the fitness side because there are loads and loads and loads of fitness gurus out there that know more about training, how to bodybuild and whatever else than I do. But when it comes to understanding kit and equipment, military side of things, I'd like to think I'm up there with the ones that's clued up on it. You know, I understand it. I understand the good equipment. I understand what's bad. Um, I understand what you need. I understand certain different setups for whatever your job role is. I get all that. So that's when I went into Bravo Tactical. Selling, obviously, kit and equipment, gear. All right, so this, this then... I was selling it mainly to a military audience, and it started off with the belts. So the belts were being sold to the military audience with guys deploying, going on exercise, whatever else, and word of mouth was spreading. And this was just on Instagram and a little bit of TikTok at the time. So that was working. Um, yeah, so it started off with belts, just the military guys, and then the airsoft community ...kind of started getting involved. So, yeah, the Airsoft community started getting involved with... ...what was going on, what I was selling and whatnot. Now, I wasn't completely oblivious to Airsoft... ...because, believe it or not, I'd done it before in the past. Now, I was not a massive player. I've quite literally only gone maybe three times, I think... Um, and that was in my late teens, you know, 18 to 20. Uh, I went a couple of times just to, I say, give it a go. I just wanted to do a bit of fun on the weekend uh, was was the reason why. So I knew of Airsoft. I knew of it. Um, I never really thought that these guys would get involved with the kit and equipment side of things as well. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some, some guys that want all the kit and equipment. But then there's also, as you probably are already aware, there's some airsofters that are happy with with whatever they've got. You know, jeans, T-shirts, as long as you have got iPro, doesn't really matter, does it? And they'll hire out um weapon system from their local site, which is completely fine. That's what I did. I would hide out the rentals. Um, so there's no problem with that. Um, so, yeah. So the airsoft guys started getting involved. It was, at the start, the main followers were airsofters. But the main sales were the military guys. So I was selling more to the military guys, but the follower wise was more air softers. Now, tracking back slightly, obviously, to, to make this happen, I needed to find people that could make the kit and equipment I'm after. So I was scouting around for factories that make or specialized in military style equipment. This was factories, manufacturers in the USA, in the UK, in Europe and in Asia. You know, so hitting pretty much every continent there. Just to try and find a factory manufacturer that can do good kit and equipment, as in produce it, but also the price needed to be right. I wasn't going to be the type of company that has the most expensive kit and equipment and sells it for a lot likewise i didn't want to be the one that has the least favored or least um beneficial kit and equipment and then sell it for obviously cheap i wanted to hit a middle ground i wanted to get kit and equipment that was that was good satisfactory and and works in all kind of environments whether that's military or airsoft and sold for a better price than you may find elsewhere. So I was looking for that kind of uh those manufacturers. And I found a couple. One of which um if you guys remember if you're if you've been with me that long, you may remember there would be a sample sale right on the website. And under there there was a kit that I got from one manufacturer and it was stuff that I either Wasn't gonna sell again. I got one one of the item in and I was not happy with it So I needed to obviously sell the item off for cheap uh, because someone out there will want to buy it But it was items. I was not gonna get in again um, Quite simply So all the kit that you saw in there was never in stock again on the sample sale It was sold off, you know There's one individual out there that wanted an item or so and they got it and to be fair They were happy with what they got for the price but I wasn't happy to sell that item, you know, it just wasn't what I expected. So those manufacturers that ended up there in that space, obviously I didn't work with. And then there was other manufacturers, there was mainly just the one that I was working off, that was producing other kit and equipment. Um, these were our bigger sales, so these were items that were getting sold frequently. So obviously I was happy with it, likewise with customers as well. Now, I'll we'll start off with the belts. So, belts were the first thing that was getting sold. Now, a belt would come in to me. You know, I'd say, oh, I want a multicam belt um, in this size with a Cobra buckle. They'd send it to me. I'd have a look at it, and I'd say to them, you know, I don't like this part of it. This isn't ideal. Uh, this needs to change. Bearing in mind, I had a belt myself. So, I already had a shoots belt from a different brand, different company, and I liked that one so i was kind of mimicking it you know trying to make it as professional as the one i had but you know with my own stamp on it so the belts that were coming in they weren't just produced by a manufacturer given to me and sold on the first initial belts would have been similar to the sample sale i don't think they were sold in the sample sale however they'd come in you know, a guy shows interest in, in a belt and I say to him, yeah, look, this is the first iteration of this belt. It's got this, this, and this. For the next ones, we're going to change these aspects of it. Um, if you still want it, that's great. I'll do you this price for it. And then they'd say, yeah, happy. And we'd, we'd agree on a price and it gets sold off. So those those are the first iterations on how that worked. And there's there's at least three to four iterations of the belts that went through. So it was never just a case of get a belt in, send it away, or sell it on, belt in, sell it on. The first belts that came in, they had, um, they had a plastic insert. So you could see, you know, you had the multicam layer on the outside, you had the plastic insert, and then maybe the, the Velcro, the other side of it, it, it was something like that. And it just didn't sit right with me. I just hated seeing, looking down the belt and just seeing plastic and not like kind of wrapping around the body efficiently. So that was a big no for me. That needs to go to the plastic. So then we ended up not sending it back to them, but explaining to them. Yeah, let's take this plastic insert out. I know why they were doing it. They were trying to harden the belt up, which is fine, and keeping it as cost effective as possible. So I said to them, get rid of the plastic and let's make a double, uh, double stitched webbing. You know, a thick webbing. So essentially, that's what they, that's what they are now. What they were, they were two large, thick, webbing uh, straps, side by side, sewn together, essentially. They then had the issue of, it was the Velcro on the, it was either the inner or the outer belt, I don't remember which one. It There wasn't enough of it, they needed more, because on the front part of the belt, it would kind of be just attached via the buckle, which is fine, but I wanted it more secure in the front, so I needed to add more Velcro to it. So again, went back to him and said, can we add more velcro here you know they'd ask sizes you know we'd come back and say you know one one and a half two inches worth of velcro added onto this and then you know they'd make it happen for the next one likewise with the molly panels so they were doing the same amount of molly molly panels for regardless of size essentially so let's let's say for example you've got an extra small belt, and they've done Fifteen Molly panels throughout the belt. The chances are that you're getting fifteen to to, to sixteen, maybe seventeen, on a large belt as well. Which then, when you whack the belt on at the front of it, you've not got many Molly panels there to attach items to, and around your hips, kind of left and right hand side of them, is where the Molly panels stop. So there's a lot of excess there. That brings me to the next one as well. The the excess that was left at the front was just one. One flap of webbing. It wasn't doubled up, so which meant it wasn't thick. Uh, Again, change that. So the excess at the front was now increased in the thickness of it. So you know, let's say I want an extra two, two and a half inches of thick webbing going into the front a bit. They ended up doing that. I then had to describe how many panels I wanted on each uh, size of belt to make sure it worked. So you know, each belt was getting an extra four maybe more panels added to them. And this all took time. So every belt that was getting sent in, you know, I'd, I'd always have changes up until, the like I said, the, the third or fourth iteration of it where the labels uh, were starting to get stuck on. That was the last kind of style we were happy with it. So yeah, so hopefully that, that gives a bit of an insight into the fact that these belts were made to my satisfaction and what I understood. They weren't just gathered in bulk and just sent out they were progressed in style and effectiveness to the point where i was happy to then sell them in i say in bulk sell them to the masses you know say this is the finished product happy with this belt it's now for this price go get it um that kind of thing obviously the belts came with two style buckles as well and the reason for that was to kind of keep the prices down a lot of my friends colleagues didn't want to pay the price for a shoots belt. Because it was quite a lot, you know, it was a lot of money at the time, 100 plus, uh, 100 pounds it is. So, in order to keep the cost down, I managed to keep the same belt, just change the buckle. So the buckle's slightly thinner. It's not got as much of a breaking strain as the, the Cobra buckle did. But I'd bring your cost down by 30 to 40 pounds, which is ideal for some. And a lot of people did actually go for the option of the, uh, the metal alloy buckle, as we called it. Um, so there was that. And that's something that I think no other company has ever done is the fact that well, I, can, I can produce you a belt and it's the same belt, but I'll just change the buckle up on the belt and I'll save you some money. If you want the fully fledged thing, that's fine. It's going to cost you an extra 30 to £40. Pounds. If you're happy to sacrifice the buckle, the buckle still works. It's just not as cool. It doesn't look as cool, let's say. Look as alley. It's not as thick. And it, the breaking strain won't be as much as what you're going to get in a Cobra buckle. But if you don't need it for that, such as airsofters, then let's go for the, the cheaper buckle option and save you some money where you can use elsewhere. So that was another one. That's where it all started and how it all um, derived from. So hopefully that's given a bit of understanding there. Um then obviously more kit and equipment arrived, such as the pouches, various different pouches that arrived. Uh, again, they'd go through a testing phase. Um, some of the pouches, you know, I was happy with first hand, you know, they'd, they'd bring them to me. And I'd say, yeah, you know, this is our double stack mag pouch, for example. I'd ensure mags can fit in there, whether that's airsoft mags, live mags, blank mags. Um, and obviously the pistol mags as well being airsoft or live pistol mags that you'd get in the military. Make sure they'll fit in there, make sure they'll work, and they're not going to come out too easy because you're using the Kylex inserts. Um, and I was happy with that. So those, for example, they didn't have to go through a, a change, the the mag pouches had So that was ideal, you know, just really the belts in that circumstance. The med pack, I say the med pack. the IFAC um that it was down as was was good as well I Was happy with that um towards i see the latter stages as i got into the ifac a little bit more i wasn't really too happy with the space you know people could get one or two items in there but what if someone wanted an extra tourniquet for example you know you don't always use one tourniquet there's a lot of times you'll need two so that's where you may have seen on the website as well that the ifac gen 2 came out which is again me going back to that supplier and saying. Happy with the IFAC, however, can we change this on it? Can we add this? And it was quite simple in the fact that people liked the style of the IFAC. Um, Just to increase the size of it, all we did was place the um, elastic elastic strap, elastic webbing uh, material, if you like, at the bottom of it to hang a tourniquet down for ease of access as well. So there was that, which made it beneficial. So... Yeah, just tracking back. Obviously, with with that slightly as well. There's, as you can tell, there's a few items then that have gone through testing, um, and understanding, and ch- been changed from that. Uh, again, valued people's feedback. Feedback that would buy the items and tell me, you know, maybe we can change this. Maybe we can do this differently. You know, this is good. Keep this. Um, worse to that extent. So that that was good. Um, sweet. In the next segment, we'll move on to. Uh, the other bits of kit equipment as we progress towards the latter stages of um, Of Bravo tactical Selling kit if you like So Apologies first and foremost if you hear Clicking in the background the dogs have got bones and if you've got dogs you understand how much they enjoy bones And I'll just smash through them. so you can probably hear that going on now. So apologies for that um, next time I find a room that I'm not in. Um, anyway, so, the last items that were added to the website have been the BBs, which I felt the drop for them was was nice, it was good. It seemed fluid, um, which is ideal, the BBs. I would have liked to have sold more of those BBs than, first, uh, than, I, than I first thought. You know, I, I did think that they'd go out a little bit more than they did, especially with with how it dropped. The flannel shirts, now they've, they're a different story, because they've been a success. Um, granted, obviously, with the BBs, there's millions, I say millions, there's millions of BBs in a bloody couple of packs, yes, but brands of BBs, there's quite a few of them. So granted that obviously people will pick and choose who they who they go with, if you've gone with a brand before and you're like more than likely gonna go with that brand again. So I get that completely. The flannel shirts, as I was saying, have been have been good. They've been the the biggest seller, I'd think, along with obviously belts, if we're good dating back all the way to the start, the belts and the IFACs wrong. <laughs> the belts and the flannel shirts have been the best sellers. Which is good to see because the flannel shirts was unique in a sense that they had the the Velcro patch on the side, which is ingrained with the Bravo Tactical logo, but at the same time you can also add your own patches to it, which is great. And if anyone wants a flannel shirt, we are still doing them um, with a few left remaining, or the availability for a few left remaining, Uh, and once that availability is gone, then they're gone. Um, unfortunately but there's still enough out there if you want to grab yourself one so yeah we moved obviously flannel shirts bbs like i said one was not as not a success not as successful as i thought it would and one was more than i thought it would so pros and cons to both if you like uh, which is ideal so moving on from obviously the kit and equipment side of things um obviously it's hard to balance two jobs so I've got a full-time job that has busy periods over months and months and obviously I've got the the business side of things that I like to progress with as well so there's always things that get in the way so you would notice over the last couple of months it's been quiet on social media because I've been busy in the full-time job so now I'm trying to get it back to where it was before and and punch through that membrane essentially and just get it popping again get it greater than it's ever been that's the ideal now the, the idea obviously when you're not pushing it on social media you're not getting the sales that you once were so for anyone that is obviously into business uh, has their own business and whatnot pushing your business constantly on social media so it's that consistency piece that's what's going to get you those sales all those customers, those clients, that's what's going to get it for you. As soon as you drop off, people essentially, they forget about you. So that's something to bear in mind uh, for those guys with businesses. If you're struggling at a certain point in time, if you're struggling now, ask yourself why are you pushing it on the social media like you used to be. If you're not, then maybe you should start pushing it constantly every day, multiple Posts, multiple stories, whatever else. So yeah, that's one thing that obviously slowed down uh, sales. Which then made me want to transition into not selling all the kit and equipment again. I want to transition. I still want to transition into courses. Again, so I know kit and equipment. I understand that. But I also understand the courses that I'd like to deliver. That I see other people delivering other organizations um i want to look to to add courses like that similar to that myself and more i want to progress people's knowledge in certain aspects now again you're hitting a certain audience with this so you're not going to hit a military audience i mean why would you because the courses that we offer is you know they get trained on for some of them a daily basis um i'd like to say that some of them not up to the same standard Um, but some of them certainly understand where the course is is and what it's all about you know so there'll be no need for them to do it because they get paid to do these kind of things anyway so the main audience you're going for is the airsoft world now not everyone wants to do courses like this not everyone wants to be uh in a milsim environment they just want to Crack on, play with their friends, shoot a couple of BBs, shoot a couple of cool-looking weapon systems, and that's them. And that's fine. Um, so now you, you're you breaking down that community um, in a sense that, yes, you want to target the airsoft world, but now you're only target, targeting the people that do military simulation or are interested in it. So now you, you you've got a smaller segment of people to target. So now I'm trying to push the course as best I can. And I'm trying to gauge and gain, gauge and gain that interest in order to conduct these courses. That's harder said than done. You know, obviously being off social media for a little while, you know, people are reluctant to answer questions or express interest because just, they, they'll think, you know, you'll disappear again, which is fine. You know, you, I get that from their point of view. But I like to think that when the courses are up and running, which I foresee that they will be. I'm just in currently looking for the correct venue. I've been in contact with a few venue, venues and no reply. So I will assume either they don't monitor their emails or they're just not interested in, in holding events like this. And yeah, the ambition is to hold courses as well as, you know, pushing out military simulation events as well, as and when. That's where I see this going. So as we look into the future now, yes, we'll sell kit and equipment, but the very niche items. So there won't be many. But we'll also be smashing into the core sector, you know, providing teaching and training uh, to the individuals uh, of the airsoft community. Which then leads me onto the final part of this podcast is my background. So, I won't get into too much detail on it. However, I'll express parts that may be prevalent and relevant to the guys listening. So, joined the army at 17 years old. Uh, I've been in the army now for come up to 10 years. So, you can guess the age from there. Um, from that then, I've done various things. Uh, I am a a trade person, if you like. So what that means is I'm not from an infantry background. So I'm not an infantryer. I'm from a trade background. Um, however, done multiple different aspects um, within the army. And that includes training the next generation. So when it comes to teaching and education, uh, a lot of my background is involved in that as well. So when it comes to the courses that I like to place on, they're going to be run fluid and effectively because I've spent many years teaching the new generation of the British Army Um, and, you know, progressing them to where they can be. Um, Likewise, I've worked a lot of years, a lot of time uh, over those 10 years has been unconventional. Now, some people might not understand the difference between conventional and unconventional. And I'll try and explain it the way I understand, which hopefully is better than, or better for the guys listening here that maybe, maybe don't understand it is, if you think of conventional as the generic army as a whole, right, and they're doing their bits and pieces, they're doing uh, the the exercises that we normally do, they'll go in operations as a you know battle group or battalion. So a, a, a whole group of individual, a whole group of infantry, for example. So if I was talking about regiments, maybe the Royal Anglian Regiment, two Royal Anglian may go out as a, uh, as a battalion somewhere. Um, that you can see as conventional army. They're doing conventional elements, you know, generic stuff that the army gets trained for day in, day out, and they are producing that on exercises and operations. Okay, um, the general stuff. And that's held by the, the majority of the army that's that 's what everyone does, so when someone says they 're in the army, most likely they 're going to be in that conventional sense in a regiment or battalion day to day stuff, you know, work into their trade or whatever that may be, go on exercises and go on operations as and when they come up now i 've spent a lot of my time in the unconventional world um, which is not what the generic army do i 've not i 've not been doing their tasks, their operations, their exercises. Uh, My training isn't like the conventional side. Although you need to learn, everyone needs to learn the conventional side. Um, There's also elements to, to what I understand is more unconventional as well as conventional. So I can add two different aspects to that as well. What that means then, going forward, and for you guys listening, when you come into the courses is, there's potential and, And uh, the element there that you're not just going to learn generic stuff that anyone else can teach you. You know, there'll be little golden nuggets here and there of information or of, um, you you know, SOPs, you know, standard operating procedures that uh, you may pick up from people like me. Not just me, but people like me, um, who can give you that little bit extra, you know, Here's some more knowledge here's why we're doing it. here's what happens if you don't do this you know, and you've got the guy or someone else who maybe from a conventional background is um is saying you know the di- a, di- a difference to it you know, and you can explain you know maybe in this situation it's not ideal to do the conventional training like you've been taught. maybe it's ideal to do something different like this um that's just you know, hopefully you'll interpret that the way, way you can and the way you find easiest. But there's there's different elements to, to everything. You know, not everything is set in stone. You need to do it this way. It's not the case. So, yeah, obviously spent a lot of time in training, a lot of time in an unconventional sense, um, working in small teams. So, again, there's a teamwork environment. And especially for the airsofters, you guys work in teams predominantly, most of the time, small teams. I spent a lot of time working in small teams and understanding how to operate um, together, essentially. So there's that. And hopefully that background will enable individuals who go on these courses to have a better insight and better knowledge of what they're being taught and how to incorporate that within their games, their airsoft games, whether that's CQB or, you know, a bigger. a big woodland kind of area utilising that different um, bits of cover, foliage, um, whatever else. Yeah, so that's essentially the podcast in a nutshell. Um, I'll just briefly explain where this podcast is going because this is new, granted. Uh, I just wanted to come on here and explain those elements first as a starting block. Um the podcast, I'd like to come on and explain more about the courses, um, what you'd expect on the courses, breaking them down. Um, I'd like to bring people on the podcast, whether that's talking from a military point of view, talking from an airsoft point of view, or even both, you know, that'd be ideal as well. Um, but I'd also like to get a mix of people, you know, people that have done different things, um, people that have maybe struggled with, with mental health and how they've progressed through that phase. People have struggled with injuries, how they've progressed through that and become a a better, more rounded person because of these elements, you know, uh, which hopefully gives some of the guys listening a bit a bit of a boost to what they what, what they can achieve, essentially. So, yeah, the podcast is going to be all-rounded and it'll be varied throughout, so bear with that one. Um, hopefully you guys enjoy what the future holds. If you've got any questions, anything you want to flag up to me, ask me, by all means jump in the DMs on Instagram and I'll get back to you um, as soon as I can. But apart from that, it's kosher, it's chill, love to everyone. Adios, amigos.